Hi, welcome to the Mental Wellness Journey, Honor the Authentic You. I am beyond excited to have Dr. Christina Bjorndal um, interview with us today. She's an authority in the treatment of mental illness such as depression, anxiety, um, bipolar disorders, and eating disorders. Having overcome many mental health challenges, Dr. Chris is a gifted speaker and writer who loves to share her philosophy of wellness in interviews with icons such as Jenny McCarthy and many others. She is recognized as one of the top naturopathic doctors to follow, uh, to follow by two independent organizations. She has helped many patients, um, excuse me, she's helped many patients achieve physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. She has completed um, three books about mental health, as well as has a 10-week course, an in-person um, retreat on mental illness. And visit her at drchristinabjorndal.com. So, Dr. Chris, thank you so much um, for um, being here today. And I always love talking with you. And as I shared earlier, I really love your Facebook posts. They just hit me as so compassionate and feeling and thoughtful. And it's um, a necessary voice, um, and it's wonderful to read them. Mm, but, thank you. Yeah. But you have a lot to share. So, yeah. well, where should we start? Well, I think it's just helpful for people to know that I, I haven't always been a naturopathic doctor. And it's really my own, through my own journey of finding solutions to the mental health challenges that I faced that I ended up becoming one. So for me, I have... Um, had many late the book I've written is called beyond the label and Which that's title. I love the title I knew I would like you when I read when I heard the title yeah yeah I mean and it's because we often get given all these labels and then we feel like that's that that we are defined by that and I really wanted people to understand that you can move you know through that and beyond that to this place of wellness so so for me, things started in in eating. I started with an eating disorder in um, high school, and 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 I just have to highlight that prior to that, there's a couple of key things. Number one, I'm actually adopted, and so um, one of my teachers that we were talking about before we started recording is Dr. Gabor Mate. He starts one of his, or he he starts or talks about in one of his books uh, about how the a mental emotional environment when you're in utero can affect you and set you up often for predispositions in, in mental health. And I clearly, I know for myself that that was the case. So I came into the world wired to, right. you know, a certain way, but I want people to understand that that doesn't mean it has to stay that way. And that's because of um, primarily because of this idea of neuroplasticity that your brain isn't a fixed lump of cement, right? It can, you can create new neural pathways and learn to think a different way. The other key that happened as well is in Love the year. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, that key of you can create new neural pathways in the way you're thinking. And yeah. that is huge. And that's one reason that I know the value of psychotherapy and have seen so many people um, feel so much better when they have a relationship like that and are able to work 
on establishing the different thought patterns. That's yeah. one way to change that, but that's huge. Yeah, it's so big, you know, um, and it's interesting for me, like my journey into wellness, it started on that physical level with putting in the right pillars to support me in forming neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I still was struggling. Like I, I was better for sure, but I still was bumping up against myself. And what I mean by that, I was bumping up against my inner critic, against these core beliefs. And there's also things like limiting beliefs that we have and shadow beliefs or unconscious commitments. And, and those are at play often whenever you say you want something, um, but then you never do it. Mm-hmm. And it's because you've got some messaging at some point that is in conflict with what it is you say you actually want. So I had to work through all of that in order to kind of to get to this place of, of healing that I am now. And so it's been a long journey to get here, but I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I've arrived, hopefully. Um, my, but I think, you know, it, it's through all of these pieces that I talk about, like the 10 steps that I discussed that they all, we have to look at, have to look at it all because you are a multifactorial person and we're, we're complex beings. And it's not just about, you know, one thing, there isn't one pill to fit, fix your ill. And that, that dogma or that um, messaging that we've been led to believe um, is, is not, I think the right messaging. And, and again, I'm not saying not to take the pill for your ill, but I'm just saying that, right, right. you know, over time, right. yeah, we got to look at why are you taking it, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the other kind of interesting piece that's more popular now in these last five to 10 years is this concept of the gut brain relationship. Mm-hmm. And in really interesting for me in the year prior to developing the eating disorder, I did antibiotics for quite some time to treat acne. Oh, there it is. And so that disrupts your gut flora. And so for me, there's lots of research, especially with eating disorders around the connection of the microbiome and, and the development of, of eating disorders. So that's another really important piece. And it just, the reason I mention it is just to highlight the importance of taking your history and looking through your history. So even though your depression or anxiety or OCD or whatever may have started in the last three years, it's what, what was happening in the 15 years prior to that. Exactly. Right? It, it's all important. And right? psychologists and psychotherapists look at it, um, the relational piece, but also, you know, functional medicine doctors and naturopathic physicians really, really understand that that overlay of the physical um, with the gut-brain access. And um, it's not something at all that was in my traditional world that, you know, doctors in the U.S. don't think what you eat matters, but we, we know we, there's no two ways about it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so then for me, I, and I think also because of, because of the adoption, I had developed some beliefs. So one of the beliefs was that I, uh, I'm not worthy. I wasn't wanted. I'm not good enough. So the way I compensated in the world um, to sort of make up for those beliefs was I was an overachiever. 
And so I, you know, I'm, as my son likes to point out, I was that try hard kid, right? Like I was the one that was, you know, getting the straight A, you know, top this, top that, you name it. And by the time I got to my third year of university, um, that served me very well. However, I came to a point where you can only burn the candle at both ends before you run out of a candle to burn. And that's what happened to me. I ended up in this place where I'd never been before, which was paralyzed with anxiety and debilitated with depression. So I ended up um, starting a a tricyclic antidepressant. And within a few months after that, I was in another place I'd never been before, which was not sleeping, having uh, rapid speech, very grandiose, very... um, I ended up having, uh, basically ended up spiraling out of control into a delusional, psychotic, manic episode, which at that time was very scary because I didn't know what was happening to me. And it took six people to, yeah, yeah, wrestle me into a straitjacket and off I went to the hospital. And so then I was told I had bipolar disorder type one. And I uh, started medication for that. And ended up graduating. And for that next decade, I was pretty much in, uh, I was depressed for most of that time. And I had a great job. Um, But again, that overachieving piece was always kicking in, driven by this inner critic that was constantly telling me that I wasn't good enough. Um, Ended up having a suicide attempt that left me in a coma with kidney failure. And I was um, on dialysis and told I would need a kidney transplant. And when I came out of that coma, I can tell you that I certainly wasn't a happy camper. I really was not, because remember, I'm an overachiever. So I was not impressed that I did not succeed. And, um, and I know that I shouldn't make light of suicide, but I, I feel I'm like, so you know, yeah. So anyway, I wasn't, impressed I was still depressed and uh, my friend gave me a book to read um, and there was a quote in this book by Marianne Williamson um, it's called the book is called a return to love and the quote was on surrender and it goes along these lines that surrender is not about breaking out of anything it's a gentle melting into who you really are Mm -hmm. so you let down your armor and you discover that all God needs is just one sincere, surrendered moment where love matters more than anything and nothing else matters at all. It's so beautiful and so well expressed. Well, you know, the key word in that phrase for me is was love. I realized that, I mean, I mean, I didn't realize it up until that point that obviously I didn't love and accept myself. And what I had done with that diagnosis of bipolar disorder was I had shoved that as far away from me as humanly possible, right? And that is not happening to me. Thank you very much. And I was wearing this mask all the time that, you know what? I'm okay. I've got it all together. And and really, I didn't. And I wasn't accepting of the bipolar piece, right? I hated it. And when you say inner critic, do you mean, I, I'm pretty sure I know what you mean, but it's, um, it's, it's sort that, of your subconscious talking to you. Yeah, it's, it's that voice in your head that's saying to you, oh, you, you know, 
oh, you, you're stupid, or oh, why did you do that, or you're not good. Like it's just, just this little voice that's, it's, yeah. not a, it's not a psychotic thing. It's just, it's just a voice, you know. <laughs> no, but it's, you know, it's um, sort of in the unconscious, or it's a dialogue that, you know, I've had with myself. You know, thoughts usually lying in bed going over the day, thinking of all the things that I did wrong or what I said wrong. Right. Yeah, that for sure. Yeah, most people have most people have an inner critic, a critic that has the stage. And what we need to do is bring some compassion to it and understanding, but also lift up the voice of the inner cheerleader or champion or coach or I love something. That. Yeah, yeah. And so, so basically, um, that's been my quest since. Um, regaining consciousness after that suicide attempt uh, to figure out how to love and accept myself. And that's the journey I've been on. And, and it's brought me to, to this, to this place. And I feel now um, like a question a lot of people ask me is, well, are you, you know, healed and um, or are you cured? And I, you know, I, think that it's healing is a journey it's an ongoing process I don't think it's a destination I think that I will be um I think we it's important to work on your health until the day you take your last breath right so I haven't had a psychotic event it's been I've had six in 33 years um the last one was 2008 so it's been 12 years now. So I feel like I'm over that. You That's know? wonderful. Yeah. And I know everybody's thinking, well, how did you do that? And I know yeah. it's not as, if you had, could do it in one line, it would be great. But that's why we're talking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I'm classically trained, like, oh, if you have bipolar one, it's for your entire life. And you have to be on medicine and, you know, get with the program. Yeah. With, as a psychiatrist, that was never me. Cause how can you, you know, say that for anything, for any, yeah. um, anybody in the world, let alone when they're younger. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the last chapter of my book is the myth, myths of mental illness. I've thought about breaking it out into like a book on its own, but all those myths are things that were said to me at one point, like, you'll have to take medication for the rest of your life or um, you will, you should never have children or, you know, it's genetic and you can pass it on or. That's why uh, they have children. Pardon? That's why they told you you shouldn't have children. Yeah. Cause and this is such a horrible thing. And why would we want to pass it on to anybody else? No, it's like they're telling you you're horrible. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, though, you know, Lori, I, um, I didn't come out about bipolar, uh, actually, until I um, uh, wrote my book. And so it's been a couple of years now. Um, I mean, some people knew, obviously, I mean, it's pretty hard to hide sometimes if you're around somebody when they're having a psychotic event. But I tried to keep it private. I was really private about my, my health. And that's also because my psychiatrist told me not to tell anybody. That, that this was a, something that is misunderstood. And because I used to be in the corporate world and I had a corporate job, he was very protective of me. He didn't want 
mm-hmm. um, my job to be in jeopardy because I handled large sums of money and sometimes with many others, a spending thing. And right. yeah, so I understand why he said it, but, but it left that impression that this is something bad. This is something, you know, there's something deeply wrong with me. Right. It just, and it also fed that belief that I'm not lovable. Right. Just feel right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's the universe making sure you get the message. Yeah. You had that your journey is proving that you're not, I think. That's right. And you, you, you know, yeah, you're so right. Cause it was interesting. I think that, um, I've, I've reflected a lot on why that suicide attempt didn't work when it, it should have. And this might be a bit out there for listeners, but I, I feel that we all, you know, before we inhabit the body, we are, we make a contract perhaps with God or the universe or whatever word floats your boat, depending on your, you know, your spiritual or religious background. And, and then we forget that we've made this contract and then we live our life and we wonder why are we having all these struggles that we're having? So I feel like one of my soul contracts is to learn how to love and accept myself. That if I was to succumb to suicide in this lifetime, that I have not learned that lesson. Because somebody who's struggling, I think, with suicide, ultimately, they're not, they're, they're at war with themselves. And, right, they're not at peace. And then on top of that, I feel that I've contracted this, this tough illness to love and accept so, um, so it's just a different perspective and, you know, people can take it or leave it. But I think that, you know, that's, I always think about what's, what's my reason for being here on a soul level, on a spiritual level. Right. So. My, yeah. as I shared with you and other speakers on this program is, you know, one of my, um, intentions for this program is to destigmatize mental I like to call it mental wellness yeah the most educated um enlightened people will like I have to see a psychiatrist or I didn't really have depression it's like let's get real most people experience anxiety a lot of people experience depression it's part of being a human being why you know you don't you don't stigmatize me because I wear glasses. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I usually say is, you know, the, the full range of human experience is from the pit of depression or suicide all the way through to psychosis, right? That's the full range of human experience. But the reality is not everybody's comfortable with those extremes. Mm-hmm. And having lived in both of those extremes, I can tell you that it's, yeah, it's not fun always to be there but to call it abnormal I think right does it a disservice for sure and I think too we really want to understand that each and every person that has depression or anxiety or whatever the the way they got there is their own journey so the way I experience depression or you experience depression or anxiety it we really want to understand how you got to where you are and that's the beauty of functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, because we are, we treat, we're treating you as an individual, right? It's not that it's, it's, so therefore the root cause may be different for you than it was for me. Um, and we want to be looking at, well, what are the various root 
roots of, of these mental challenges that people go through. And they can, you know, there's many, I talk about 10 areas to look at in my book. And, but just, you know, people need to understand that there's, it's not always just neurotransmitter based. It's, you know, it can be hormone related. Mm -hmm. And, And when I talked about in university, how I ran out of gas, well, that I didn't know anything about the adrenal system at that time or cortisol or burnout. And, and that's really what I think was going on then. Um, but the driving yourself, driving yourself. Yeah, right. So, but that conversation, you know, that wasn't happening. So it's important, um, especially when, or, or another classic example is women at menopause. You know, at times women notice shifts in their mood and sometimes can experience depression or anxiety and they get prescribed Prozac. Well, it's, it's a hormone imbalance usually, right? So you're using the wrong tool for the job, right? You're, maybe you're using a hammer, but you need a wrench. Yep. Yeah. So I find that is really a differentiation that you're going to get when you work with. Yeah. When you work with, um, with Dr. Chris, because she's looking at all of the different aspects. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do yeah. Naturopathic medicine then? Yeah. So, um, so what happened was I was taking five psychotropic medications at one point to manage my condition. And I had a friend, same friend that gave me that book. Um, she was, she's a nutritionist and she was always encouraging me to, to look to, a, to see a naturopathic doctor. So I, um, I actually had made an appointment to see one prior to that suicide attempt, but his wait was two years at that time. Um, so anyway, I went to see him uh, when I was I got better, and I started. So I, I worked with him, and then I worked with also with a, a nutritionally oriented psychiatrist named Dr. Abraham Hoffer. Oh, okay, I forgot that. Yeah, I yeah. Forgot. So he's quite um, well renowned in in Canada, and worked with Linus Pauling, who has uh, won two Nobel Peace Prizes for his work. Um, well, some of his work on vitamin C. But um, anyways, Dr. Hoffer and Dr. Chan, my, the two clinicians I worked with, they um, put me on a nutritional protocol, but mostly supplement-based. And that, I carried that along with all the medication. I really want people to understand that you, you have to work with somebody if you're going to be making any kind of transitions. And you want to carry both of them along. You want to build in the nutritional piece first I, I then had a year where I felt for the first time free of depression and anxiety, which wow. I had not, yeah, I hadn't felt that in the 15 years prior. Wow. And so then I knew, okay, there's something to this. And that is also one of my messages is it doesn't matter what it takes to get you feeling there. Um, I'm a, obviously a big believer with know how important nutrition is in the gut brain, um, connection can be a necessary tool at times and there's nothing bad about it there's nothing inherently bad and and I just want that message to come across too and you were you know depression and anxiety free free for the first time in 15 years that's Mm -hmm. amazing that's I mean I can't even imagine how you've got used to your new life yeah right I was like well, it's very uncomfortable because I'm not used to being in this place, right? 
add also, um, you know, um, well, so, so the other piece for, for me was I, I had a stressful job and I, I really wasn't like, I was, I was happier. Like I wasn't depressed and, and anxious, but I still wasn't happy in terms of the career piece. And so I started, um, well, I was always, always been a journaler. And so I started reflecting on, on my life. And there was a, a life coach named Cheryl Richardson. She was on Oprah at one point, And she asked, uh, poised, posed the question, if money didn't matter, what would you be doing with your life? And so I journaled about that and reflected and, and sat with myself. And, and the answer that always kept coming up was to go back to school and to study, to be a or like an orthomolecular psychiatrist, like Dr. Hoffer or a naturopathic doctor. And so at first I, um, the, the second thought after that was like, you can't quit your job. What do you, you know, are you crazy? <laughs> like, what do you, Yeah. you can't go back to school. And, but I didn't listen to that voice. I, 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 um, I ended up making a career change at 33 and I went back to high school. I had to go back because I didn't do the sciences the first time through. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And then I chose, I went to naturopathic school because medical school, I just didn't think that the sleepless nights would be yeah. conducive to supporting my mental health. So I think that was a wise choice for a lot of reasons. And as I shared with you before, like, um, you know, I went to college before the internet, so it was not mm. my radio radar and know that something like this existed. And I always wonder if I did, would I have gone to naturopathic school? Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. But also like here you are um, trying to achieve, achieve, achieve because you have that inner critic. And it sounds like if you were in the corporate world here, you've got to hide yourself because, which only reinforces the inner critic. That's right. uh, you know, the psychiatrist said, don't tell, um, yep. work, which again, in an effort to protect your job, but still, so that must've been pretty awful when you can't be yourself. That's right. Yeah. So at that point you have two different, um, I'm going to say two halves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I really was, um, I really was really good at presenting this person that had it all together mm -hmm. and not very many people knew that I suffered with anxiety or, or depression for that matter. And so most people were very shocked when they, you know, when I had that suicide attempt. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I was diagnosed in a time when, you know, this is back in 1987. So this is a time when there was no conversation going on about mental health. And so I'm, I'm really happy to see the shift in the discussion about it and the awareness about it. But I really still think we have to move from that to action. So what are we actually doing to help people? right? There's still people are suffering. I mean, the rates of anxiety and depression and mental health and suicide are higher than they've ever been. And I think a piece comes from what we shared a little bit before this started is um, what you're presenting to the world and who you are inside. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't gel, you know, and, you know, 
to get through medical school um, and residency, I put on a bit of a persona that I unfortunately didn't have to. But I remember when choosing residency, um, I was able to choose something that I could, I know I could, I'm going to say, tolerate or do um, because I couldn't keep up that mm. persona, you know, mm. be that hard driving, cut off your emotions. And I'm like, when I went into medicine because I wanted to help people and I wanted to have those emotions and that connection with people. And, you know, if you have to be a surgeon or an internist or an OBGYN, all my examples were being cut off from that. Yeah. 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 It's a tough dance between the ego and the soul. And um, there's, there's a little exercise that I take people through that we could do if we want um, just about learning how to sort of tap in and trust your, your intuition, your, you know, this inner voice that's got your back, but we don't always listen to it because the voice of the ego drowns it out. Like even for me, right, that voice within rose up and said, go back to school. And then immediately the voice of fear that comes from the ego rises up and says, tells you all the reasons why you can't do that. Right. right. And, I, and I feel like, well, there's one article that I wrote and, and I think it's in my book where I talk about one of the, one of the, one of the levels of depression where I feel like it's sometimes a bit of a, a battle between, between the soul and the ego. It's like your, your heart wants to move east or, and your ego wants to move west. And it's like you get stuck mm-hmm. and you don't know which one to listen to. And then you become paralyzed in, in depression and you, you, it's almost like you, you know, you contract in and you, you can't make a move because you don't know which move to make. Um, right. And I think, um, and that's part of why we're doing this series because I want, I think some people at certain points don't even realize there's that. Yes. Is that what you were talking about with your exercise? How did you get into that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to try it? Yeah. Did we do it? I don't know if we did that before, but um, that's okay. We can try it. Yeah. Are you guinea, Are you okay to be a guinea pig? Of course. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's just, it's pretty easy. We'll just have a little conversation with your heart, but just to start, I'll ask you just to connect with your heart. Maybe put your hands over, over your heart and just breathe in. So we'll just take a deep breath in together. And then I'm going to make a statement and just repeat it. And then the answer that comes. So the first one is heart. Show me where you are. Heart. Show me where you are. And then just notice if you notice a color or a word comes or a sensation. Um, Kind of heart help, heart beating faster. You can feel, you can feel your heart connecting. Okay, great. So heart, will you ever lie to me? Yes or no? Will you ever lie? Oh, heart, will you ever lie to me? No. No. Heart, have I always followed you? Yes or no? Heart, have I always followed you? No. Heart, how do you feel when you hear, I haven't always followed you? Heart, how do you feel when you heard, I don't always follow you? Sadness. Sadness. Why do you feel sad, heart? Why do you feel sad, heart? Um, because you're not seeing me. You're not seeing or, me. Yeah, and which is you. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Heart, is it possible that you are God or grace or my intuition dwelling within? Yes or no? 
heart, is it possible that you are God or grace dwelling within? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. That's it. Bright yellow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, so here's, here's the quote that I want people to think about the heart, the heart must usher the mind into the zone of revelation by Joseph Campbell. So we're wanting to lead our lives from this heart centered place and then use the mind to figure out the, all the to do's around it. Most people are doing it the other way around. They're yeah. using their mind to lead and, and it, it's just, it, the reason it's why I, I like to teach this and, and highlight it is your heart is always trying to talk to you. And this is this inner guide, so to speak. And we all have one, but we don't always listen to it. And so the way you can build your strength and your, your um, listening skills around it is to start with asking your heart just some really small questions like brown rice or quinoa tonight right? Chicken or beef, right? Blue pants or brown pants. Like nothing is going to happen if you, you know, don't make wrong answer. There's no wrong answer, but you want to get used to trusting the answer that comes because here's the thing. Then you'll get the hit. Like when you, when you get the hit, call your mother, check in on Susie. Oh yeah. Right. Then you'll, you'll do it. It's, it's so powerful when you learn to, to work with, your, with this, this inner, um, I'll call it your intuition. Yeah. So that's been a... I love that your heart, because to me that's, yeah. Yeah. Actually, here's another quote that you'll probably like by Joseph Campbell, which is, the psychotic drowns in the same water the mystic swims. Wow. Yeah. So we drown people in medication and, and yet on the same side, perhaps of somebody who's psychotic is they could be considered a, you know, a mystic, but we celebrate mystics in our, in our culture. We don't, yet we don't celebrate people with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. I know, I know. Yeah. human, that bipolar in room three or that, schizophrenic I'm like I you know my back I don't know if my back bristles if that's the right phrase but gotta see the U and Mm -hmm. the first and the U isn't going to be seen until person sees them that's right that's right yeah yeah and I guess there was just one other this other piece that we were talking about earlier too which is um also coming from Gabor Mate's work where he talks about, he says, virtually everything that's wrong with you um, began as a compensation or, or a survival mechanism in childhood. So he, he feels that, um, that yeah. who he is. Cause I think yeah, people don't, may not know him. Yeah. Dr. Gabor Mate, he's a Canadian uh, medical doctor, worked a lot in addiction uh, and mental health. And he has, Three books, Scattered Minds, which is about ADHD, which he has, um, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction, and he's quite open about... Hungry Ghosts, is that what you said? Yeah, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, yeah, Close, Close Encounters with Addiction. And the third book is a really great one called When the Body Says No, 
Mm. Yeah. And he's working on a fourth book, which is called The Myths of... It's, it's actually similar to what I was mentioning earlier about the myths of mental illness. I think his t- working title is The Myths of Mental Illness. Um, something about insanity, finding sanity in an insane culture. That's a great perspective because I do agree we have an insane culture. Yeah. It's, if nobody can see it now, just in the U.S., how divided we are and not yeah. to each other. And, you know, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, um, so people should... Sorry, go ahead. He's not just a biological psychiatrist then. No, and he's not even a psychiatrist. He's a, just, a medical, just a medical doctor. Yeah, but he's... Because he didn't get filled with goofy theories. I'm talking out about Sorry. I'm thinking I am one, so I guess I have the right to say it. But anyway. <laughs> well, he's developed uh, a, an approach um, called compassionate inquiry. So, um, and it's like a therapeutic, psychotherapeutic approach of, of working with the body and the emotions uh, along with the beliefs that we develop. So, you know, his whole thing is with trauma. He, you know, it's not about, it's not about the event that's happened to you. It's what you, it's what has happened inside of you as a result of that event. So what you've made that mean or um, the, the way that you shut yourself off or the emotions that you suppressed um, because you had to, for whatever reason, in your in your experience, and I was I was um, had the pleasure of, of talking to him, and he was asking me. He said to me because I told him about well, you know, my my the diagnoses I've had, and he said to me, "So, Chris, what emotion did you suppress? Uh, because to him, depression is something that you've pushed down, you've depressed something within you. So, what emotion did you not express? And so for you know, for people who are listening, I think it's just, it's important most likely to, to work with somebody who can help you navigate this. Um, he brought up anger for me. And, I, and at first I was like, I didn't really resonate. I don't normally resonate with anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I remember one experience when I was 16 with anger. And then for the most part, I've, I've not had a very good rela- relationship with it. I don't consider myself an angry person. But through this training that I've been doing with him in this course, what came out of the inquiry into my body was actually some anger towards my biological mother for, yeah, and and actually her parents for not supporting my pregnancy. Wow. Right? And. And so it was really powerful. And um, so he talks a lot. Uh, maybe I, meant, I mentioned this earlier already in our conversation that he talks about that emotional imprinting that can happen in utero, right? Um, but not only in utero, in childhood, right? Yeah. So these experiences we have are, are important. So I just want people who, to, who are listening to understand that what he says is that all diagnoses, whether it's ADD, ODD, depression, anxiety, psychosis, whatever it is, it began as a coping mechanism. At some point, there's something about them that served as some survival, survival value, right? And, what, and what, what you and I were talking about was there, and what he teaches is that when you're little, the, you know, as a, as a baby, 
as young children, we have two needs primarily. One is for attachment to our caregivers, mm-hmm. and the other one is to be authentic. And often what happens is we have to sacrifice our authenticity in order to maintain the attachment. Because our, because our survival is, is the key. Right? So, you know, if you think of somebody who's being abused, like a child who might be, be, be being by their, their caregiver. Yeah. Right? What, that's their attachment, though. Right? So they suppress their, their emotions and, and really who they are because they have to maintain that attachment, even though the attachment's messed up. Right. Right. Anyway, I'm probably going on a tangent, but I just find it really interesting. No, I love, that's why I wanted to speak with you. People need to hear that. I am so with you there. And um, and it's being compassionate with yourself and acknowledging um, the you, the heart. Yeah. 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 Uh, When you don't, a lot of not good things happen. Yeah. Well, and then what happens is you, you, you know, you end up developing these beliefs, right? And then that becomes the operating system. That's the operating system in the computer up here, right? And then that's what runs your life, right? And it's adaptive. Totally. You know, that's, you know, you got you a successful job in corporate, I was going to say corporate America, are in America too. I'm sorry. I hate when the U.S. calls themselves America. But anyway, um, it was adaptive for a while. But um, I guess your body was saying no at that time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like I have more energy and more vitality and, and better health at 53 than I did at 23. Right? So, um, I, you know, I think there's definitely something to be, well, there's a lot to be said for, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, proper nutrition, um, you know, sleep, base, like, let's not, let's not forget the basics, right? Diet, sleep, exercise, managing stress. I mean, those are the first four things I talk about in, you know, of the 10 steps. So these things, you can, that can take you really far, right? Absolutely. And yeah, so anyways, I just think that there's, there's so many people that are struggling. Not many people hear a positive message around healing bipolar disorder. Um, not, way too many people um, are, are at war with themselves. And I just hope that, you know, through the work that you're doing and through the work that, that I'm doing, that we can help sort of spread a positive message out there. Yes. How do you, how, how do you work with people now? So mostly because I'm in Canada, we have um, different regulations that are we have to consider. Overregulated, yeah. Yes, yeah. So it's just U.S. people on this, so surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can work with people one on one. Um, uh, in they have, but they have to come to Alberta, um, mm-hmm. or to Edmonton where I live. I created the online course. That's one of the reasons I created the online program is so that, you know, people can have access to the teachings that I, that I like to teach if I see you over time, one-on-one. Um, and so there's that that's available for people. And then there's the books of course that are there too. Um, so, but I usually just encourage people to, to, you know, to find somebody local and, um, 
and and whether it's again naturopathic doctor, a, a great counselor. I'm really interested, and in, I find this compassionate inquiry technique very has been very helpful for me. I mean, somatic experiencing is also beneficial. So I think, like you said, it doesn't. You know, do you have to find something, and and hopefully, you know, that takes you to a place of well-being. And if it if it you know or gets you some improvement, and then you can look into something else. I mean, there's so many yes. avenues, right? Just get started. Right, and I like how you your book and your online course summarizes everything because that's a huge step. So you can even begin to see yourself in that realm. Yeah. And it gives you more language so you know what to look for. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, I forgot, I didn't ask you at the beginning. Do you have a, some, sometimes our speakers have a free gift available. Yeah, sure. Oh, I can. Then we'll, make sure, <laughs> then we'll make sure everybody gets the link that it's available in the email. Yeah. You know what? I, I was thinking, well, I, I, I think what might be the best one might be the forgiveness meditation. Because I think that that's a big step in healing as well. Um, that is not, people don't always dive into that. So uh, I think that's the one I'll send you is the forgiveness meditation. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you again, Dr. Chris. I really, really appreciate you being here. And um, I just always love talking with you. Uh, thanks, Lori. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.